0: This story contains strong language and graphic and potentially disturbing content. Discretion is advised. Certain voices in this podcast have been altered to protect privacy. Welcome to season three of What Really Happened. Executive produced by Seven Bucks Productions, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz in association with Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, And you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, at Andrew Jenks.
1: I just wanted to touch base with you uh, in reference to uh, a case that I'm investigating uh, involving Mr. Epstein.
0: Last time on What Really Happened, everyone has heard about Jeffrey Epstein and the crimes he committed against girls and young women. Not everyone has heard that back in 2005, a local police detective was on the case— his name, Detective Joseph Recari. As I go through police files, phone calls, and interview videos from the case, it's easy to see that Joe Recari was leading the investigation. And as the months went by, he was accumulating evidence. He takes girls over
1: there um, and they give him a massage. They start off by giving him a massage. If you like them, he tells them to stay and, and do
0: other things. Every time the detective speaks with one girl or a young woman, it seems he then hears about more people he should be talking to. Just be truthful with me, otherwise yeah, I won't have to go. Let's go back to the house type of thing, you know? Okay.
2: But i have another victim in the other room.
0: And so he keeps driving around Palm Beach, asking questions and listening. To get this straight in my, in my mind, when I you about working for, for Jeff, did you know that you were gonna go over there for the purpose of giving a massage? He knows he's being followed by Epstein's people, but Rick Carey is relentless. No, no,
1: no, no. I'm telling you, you are not a suspect in in any way, shape, or form. My main concern, obviously, is the girls that come over to work for him.
0: This is an account of the original investigation into Jeffrey Epstein, the detective who just kept going, and the chief of police who had his officers back. It is the story of a monster who died in jail leaving a slew of conspiracy theories which are endlessly debated. Is there merit to any of them? This is the journey of dozens of girls and young women, many of whom fought back against Epstein and his co-conspirators, hoping for justice. January 2006. The investigation into Jeffrey Epstein began over a year ago. Chief of Police Michael Ryder and Detective Joseph Rickeri are beginning to turn over all of the evidence to the state attorney's office. The state attorney during this time is Barry Krischer. In other areas, he would be the equivalent to the district attorney. Barry Krischer is now in charge of using all of the evidence the police have compiled and putting Epstein where he belongs, locked behind bars. It's important to remember everything Detective Rickeri and his team have managed to put together. They found damning messages when raiding Epstein's home. They spoke with five victims and 17 witnesses. They identified 47 girls who'd been molested by Epstein. They did surveillance and had telephone records and flight records that matched with the victims' accounts. Chief Ryder and Detective Rickeri were also feeling confident because Chief Ryder knew State Attorney Barry Krischer was on his side. Ryder said, I had known Barry Krischer to be a victim advocate and to protect the rights of children. Well, I know that he even wrote a portion of the statue that addresses those issues. And when I told him, as in Barry Krischer, originally, he said, let's go for it. This is an adult male in his 50s who's had sexual contact with children of the ages of the victims. He said this is somebody who we have to stop. In addition to what Chief of Police Michael Ryder said, Barry Krischer also had a great reputation. He was known nationally, in fact, for his prosecution of juvenile offenders. He'd received numerous awards, including a Lifetime Achievement Award given by then-Governor Jeb Bush for Krischer's work with victims of family violence. Not only that, but Barry Krischer didn't shy away from the rich and powerful. Krischer was part of an investigation into Rush Limbaugh. By any measure, Barry Krischer was perfect to prosecute this case. But, and this is key, something strange was happening. Krischer slowly began communicating less and less with Chief Ryder and Detective Rickeri. Ryder would later say, so when time went on and Mr. Epstein became aware of the investigation, and his, as an Epstein's lawyers, contacted the state attorney's office, And from that point on, and I believe it was Mr. Dershowitz, one of his lawyers initially, the tone and tenor of the discussions of this case with Mr. Krischer changed completely. Ryder continued, Krischer just completely changed from not only our first conversation about this, when he didn't know the name Jeffrey Epstein, till when he had been informed on Mr. Epstein's reputation and his wealth. And I just thought that was very unusual. Something or someone seemed to have gotten to Krischer. Or maybe, maybe, was Chief Ryder just being oversensitive to the case he and Detective Rickeri had built? April 2006, suddenly a turning point. Now it seems clear Chief Ryder was correct in knowing something was off. Barry Krischer opted to not take Epstein to trial. Instead, he wanted to first get approval for an arrest by convening a grand jury. As reported by Tim Malloy and his colleagues in Filthy Rich, this was highly unusual. Not damning in and of itself, but very strange. In Florida, grand juries are only required in capital cases. At the state attorney's discretion, they may also be called in controversial cases, for instance, cases involving crimes committed by public officials. But Jeffrey Epstein wasn't a public official, and as far as the Palm Beach PD was concerned, the only controversial thing about the case they'd built was that Epstein was rich and well-connected. So I ask, was Krischer being bullied by Epstein's lawyers, similar to what Chief Ryder and Detective Rickeri were experiencing? Epstein, after all, assembled a who's who of defense attorneys. This included Jack Goldberger, Gerald Lefcourt, Alan Dershowitz and Ken Starr, all had relationships with people in high places, and they were aggressive. Time and time again, Detective Rickeri is being reminded that Epstein's people are trying to speak with anyone Riccarelli is talking to, as he notes in this conversation with a victim. Private investigators out there talking to people and um, you know trying to find out you know people who I'm talking to, etc.
1: Uh, so don't don't be um, surprised if you do get a phone
0: call with this in mind the aggressive private investigators the lawyers looking for dirt on anyone it's worth noting that state attorney krischer had also been accused of sexual misconduct in 1992. the case went to federal court and this is also vital it was dismissed krischer was found of no wrongdoing But it's clear Epstein's legal team weren't just using facts to get to people. They were okay using smear campaigns. Truth was something that got in their way. They had the power to ignore the truth. If Jeffrey Epstein's team was following Detective Rickeri and going through his trash, looking for anything that could embarrass him, I would think they likely would be perfectly fine bringing up old accusations, even if proven untrue. Epstein seemed to have dirt on everyone. I reread a declaration from Virginia Giuffre, who recounted her time with Epstein while she was a teenager. Part of her experience reads as follows and demonstrates that Epstein and his co-conspirator Ghislaine Maxwell had an obsession with getting incriminating information on other people.
1: Epstein and Maxwell also told me that they wanted me to produce information for them in addition to performing sex on the men. They told me to pay attention to the details about what the men wanted so that I could report back to them. She added, In addition to constantly finding underage girls to satisfy their personal desires, Epstein and Maxwell also got girls for Epstein's friends and acquaintances. Epstein specifically told me that the reason for him doing this was so that they would, quote, owe him. They would, quote, be in his pocket, and he would, quote, have something on them. I understood that Epstein thought that he could get leniency if he was ever caught doing anything illegal or that he could escape trouble altogether.
0: Detective Rickeri, the Queen's native, tries reaching out to Krischer's office to see what's going on. But call after call and message after message goes unanswered. Rickeri also discovers at least one victim had tried reaching out to the state attorney's office but heard nothing in return. When Detective Rickeri calls to ask when a victim should be reporting for grand jury testimony, his call isn't returned. So what is going on? Why were they not talking? After all, it is common for the police to work with the state attorney's office. And the police have proof the prosecution needs. May 1, 2006. Chief Ryder has had enough. He takes a daring approach. He writes a letter to barry krischer with the palm beach police department's letterhead he essentially calls Crisher out saying in part it is regrettable that i am forced to communicate in this manner but my most recent telephone calls to you and those of the lead detective to your assigned attorneys have been unanswered and messages remain unreturned after giving this much thought and consideration I must urge you to examine the unusual course that your office's handling of this matter has taken and consider if good and such efficient reasons exist to require your disqualification from the prosecution of these cases. The Palm Beach Police Force were proud of their boss. Said former officer Kirk Bluen, When the chief wrote a letter to
1: the then state attorney asking him to recuse himself from the case because of the highly unusual matter in this, how this is being handled by their office. Obviously, I was a very proud moment uh, for the department, and uh, I was proud that he did the right thing because I know how difficult that can be. And you know, when you have um, high-profile people trying to intimidate you, private investigators following you, he rose to the occasion and he did what was right.
0: But despite Chief Ryder's letter, nothing changes. The grand jury commences with Barry Krischer as the prosecutor. Only one girl is called to talk in front of the grand jury. This is after the police had identified 47 girls. This girl never speaks to the prosecutors beforehand. There is no prep, no guidance from Krischer. Instead, the prosecution begins accusing her of all sorts of things. Said Tim Malloy, it was like the prosecution was working for Epstein. The victim's father would add, All this time, we knew that we were being watched. Creepy guys, private investigators from Miami. They would follow us, scaring the hell out of my wife and my daughter's sister. My car was vandalized. It was like living in hell. Once again, Epstein's team was launching a brutal intimidation campaign against anyone that would try standing up to Epstein. Late July 2006 the police investigation began about one year and four months ago the police force wanted to charge jeffrey epstein with one count of lewd and lascivious behavior and four counts of unlawful sexual activity with a minor if convicted epstein would spend years behind bars some of those who helped epstein recruit girls co-conspirators like elaine maxwell would also be charged By comparison, as reported by the authors of Filthy Rich, there was a 2013 case involving Scott Blake. He was a 47-year-old middle school principal from Palm Beach Gardens. He sent sexually charged messages to a police officer who was pretending to be a 15-year-old boy. Blake was sentenced to 10 years in prison and 10 years of probation after pleading guilty to one charge of soliciting sex with a minor. The grand jury announces they have reached a verdict, and it is shocking. The verdict is even more lenient than the original plea deal Krischer was offered. They recommend that there just be one count of solicitation of prostitution. There is no mention that the girl who did speak was a minor, much less mention all of the other minors who Epstein preyed upon. Epstein surrenders on the weekend when there's no press around. He's in jail for a few hours and then released on $3,000 bail. It is an embarrassment for the criminal justice system, a representation as to the length bad people can get away with bad things if they have money, and an indictment on how certain members of the government were not looking out for their own, not even children. And the police force can't believe it. Ryder is outraged. He can't believe the injustice done to these girls and their families. Writer decides he should at least let them know of the injustice and that he won't give up, even though it seems out of his hands at this point. He writes a letter to the families, which says, I do not feel that justice has been sufficiently served by the indictment that has been issued. He delivers each letter by hand. And Chief writer isn't done. The letter he writes to the parents of the victims includes another detail, He is taking another bold and extremely unusual step. He has reached out to the FBI to tell them something is wrong. Since Chief Ryder took the bold step to bring the case to the FBI, it is now in the hands of Alex Acosta, at the time the United States Attorney for the Southern District of Florida, and Acosta gets involved. He begins meeting with Epstein's lawyers. September 24th, 2007, exactly two months after Chief Ryder hand-delivered that letter to the victim's parents letting them know he had taken the case to the FBI, Epstein signs a document pleading guilty to two felony prostitution charges. He also registers as a sex offender and is ordered to restitution to three dozen victims identified by the FBI. He is sentenced to 18 months in prison. But Epstein is also granted work release, meaning while in jail, he can go to three places for up to 16 hours a day, six days a week. The three places he can go to, his lawyer's office, another office where he started a science foundation, and get this, his house. The same house where so many girls would come over. A young woman, Priscilla Doe, Recently reported in a complaint filed with the government that when Epstein went to jail for sex offenses in Florida, he maintained contact with plaintiff, that is Priscilla. It continues saying that Priscilla was flown to Florida, quote, in order to engage in commercial sex with Epstein in his Florida residence while on so-called work release from jail, while he was still wearing his ankle monitor. With Epstein now behind bars, albeit hardly, Alex Acosta stopped the investigation. The FBI had compiled a 53-page indictment, but this, like so much other evidence in this case, vanished. 53 pages of material outlining Epstein's crimes, gone. There was also a non-prosecution agreement signed. This is also extremely unusual. It meant, once again, none of the victims were informed. This violated a federal law, the Crimes Victims Rights Act, which states that victims of federal crimes have rights, including the right to be heard in court, and most particularly, not to be precluded from court proceedings and the right to be treated fairly. Everyone was getting away with crimes, and the only ones who were made to feel like criminals were the victims. In addition to Epstein getting away with a slap on the wrist, there was Epstein's co-conspirators. The agreement stated, if Epstein successfully fulfills all of the terms and conditions of this agreement, the United States also agrees that it will not institute any criminal charges against any potential co-conspirators of Epstein. This confused me. The best analogy I can think of would be, imagine if five people beat someone up so badly that person nearly dies. And the main attacker says, okay, I did it, but... All I really did was slightly push this person. The government agrees that's all he has to plead guilty to, a push. And because of this agreement, the four others don't even have to go to trial. Their names never even disclosed. You never know who they are. And not only that, but as it turns out, it may be more than five people. Could be six, it could be seven, it could be dozens. So how does that work? I spoke with a former U.S. attorney, Barbara McQuaid.
1: One of the uh, provisions in the plea agreement that I think lends itself to some of these conspiracy theories also is a very unusual provision that provided for um, immunity for any potential co-conspirators. And conspirators could be anyone who patronized the victims for sex. So, you know, that has lent itself to this conspiracy theory that perhaps there is someone who is very wealthy and powerful who has been calling these lawyers and maybe even pay enough Mr. Acosta to persuade him to uh, include that provision and to back down.
0: At this point, the Palm Beach police had gone to the FBI. They went as far as they could in pleading for someone to listen to these victims. It was now a dead end. April 28th, 2017. After being a US attorney, Alex Acosta was appointed the position of Secretary of Labor. This big time job put him under the spotlight. Just about seven months later, in November 2017, the Miami Herald's Julie Brown writes a series of articles shining a light on Epstein's crimes. She speaks with the victims and survivors, and these women are bold, telling their stories on the record. Brown's entry point to her story was Alex Acosta and questions over the deal he struck with Epstein's team. With renewed interest, the public correction unit of the Southern District of New York begins investigating. July 6, 2019. Epstein is arrested. He is denied bond. Suddenly, there is more pressure for Acosta to answer what had happened. Four days after the arrest, Acosta holds a press conference to try and squash any potential mishandling, mainly he tries to blame Barry Krischer's office. Acosta says that if it weren't for him, Acosta, Epstein would have never gone to jail. But he couldn't seem to answer this question in the press conference. Why didn't you just keep investigating? And then follow up. So the victims of which we were aware were part of this, and and under the agreement in the Southern District of Florida, the investigation ceased, and they had the opportunity to proceed civilly. He doesn't answer the question. If you'd like to see the video in full, it's on c-span.com, and that clip continues at the 27-minute mark. Said former U.S. Attorney Barbara McQuaid.
1: So if Mr. Acosta was dissatisfied with what the county prosecutor was doing, he could have just let him do his own thing, plead him to the soliciting a prostitute charge, and then still continue with his own case, which no doubt would have created exposure of many years in prison.
0: Acosta's press conference didn't quell the questions surrounding the deal he made. Acosta eventually resigned. So what happened? I think, and this is just an opinion, that Alex Acosta was told from higher powers to go easy on Epstein. I think Epstein did have the goods on people in power. And if you think that's a conspiracy theory, I'm okay with that. Sometimes not usually, but sometimes conspiracy theories are right. After all, it was during the same time 2006 and 2007 that the truth came out about how former NFL player and soldier Pat Tillman had died. What was a conspiracy theory turned into a cover up by the United States government. Surprisingly, when I watched that Acosta press conference, he never answered a question about people in higher positions telling him not to prosecute the case. Did someone at DOJ tell you or order you to cut a deal with Jeffrey Epstein? His, his attorneys um, certainly uh, filed several appeals with Maine justice. I will again restate. When the career attorneys met with him, they presented certain terms and the office stay true to those terms throughout note he didn't answer the question since then both krischer and acosta have blamed each other acosta said krischer dropped the ball but krischer said acosta didn't have to rely on him which is true barbara mcquaid said it could also be
1: it may simply be being outlawed being out resourced um I don't know that Mr. Acosta had been a prosecutor before becoming U.S. attorney. Maybe he just felt uh, intimidated by a, a vigorous defense.
0: In my opinion, and from my research, it seems clear Acosta and Krischer couldn't handle the bullies or were simply outmatched. And yes, it's true, they were dealing with the dream team of bullies. But so was Chief of Police Michael Ryder and Detective Joseph Ricari. They would not be intimidated. The following has been largely overlooked. On July 10, 2019, Alexander Acosta gave that press conference defending his actions. But I discovered that Secretary Acosta had also written a letter trying to defend himself on March 20, 2011, which acknowledged just what Chief Ryder and his team had done. Acosta writes, Local police were dissatisfied with the state attorney's conclusions and requested a federal investigation. Federal authorities received the state's evidence and engaged in additional investigation. This is proof that Acosta had only sought out this investigation after Ryder and his team asked him to do so. It's an extraordinary testament to the resolve of the Palm Beach police. But it's also sad, because Acosta and his team didn't continue the investigation into Epstein. In fairness, they at least put Epstein behind bars, albeit for a very limited period of time and on this work-release program. This is nothing compared to what sex offenders like Epstein are normally sentenced to. August 10th, 2019. After just over one month in jail, Epstein dies. How he died Has been the topic of much speculation. Was it suicide or was he killed? Is there a chance someone Epstein had secrets on wanted him dead and paid someone off to do the deed? After all, so many of the girls and young women who have talked spoke about how many secrets Epstein did have on people in power. Also, prisoners I've spoken with, and this isn't some huge secret, say pedophiles are more likely to be hurt or killed in prison than murderers. So how hard could it be to kill a pedophile who people with power already want dead? People who could easily afford to pay off someone with huge sums of money. If I were to play the ultimate skeptic, I came up with six points surrounding his suicide that lead me to question if it was in fact suicide. Some are more convincing than others. One guards who were supposed to be checking in on Epstein falsified documents since they were actually not checking in on Epstein every 30 minutes. Instead, they were sleeping and failed to check on him for three hours. How do you fall asleep when watching over one of the most wanted prisoners in America? 2. Epstein was taken off of suicide watch when it seems he had tried to kill himself only six days prior. 3. Epstein's cellmate, who would have likely stopped Epstein from committing suicide or yell for help, had been moved to another cell. So it was just Epstein alone. The New York Times reported that this violated the jail's procedures. 4. The Autopsy. The Washington Post reported, among the bones broken in Epstein's neck was a hyode bone, which in men is near the Adam's apple. Such breaks can occur in those who hang themselves, particularly if they are older, according to forensics experts and studies on the subject. But, they are more common in victims of homicide by strangulation, the experts said. 5. Epstein's death came just a day after thousands of court documents from a previous lawsuit were released, which implicated several powerful men, including Prince Andrew, billionaire Glenn Dubin, and former Governor Bill Richardson. There have been reports recently that the names of many more men will soon be released. Six, and this one is a biggie. According to the Washington Post, at least one camera in the hallway outside the cell where authorities say registered sex offender Jeffrey Epstein hanged himself earlier this month, had footage that is unusable, although other, clearer footage was captured in the area. So this leads most, including me, to wonder, where is that footage? Reports at first said that both were damaged. To summarize, we are led to believe that the guards fell asleep knowing they had one of the most wanted prisoners in the country. Epstein was quickly taken off of suicide watch only days after attempting suicide. Epstein's cellmate changed cells, which is against policy, because it left Epstein alone in his cell. The autopsy wasn't totally conclusive. Disturbing information on powerful people came out the day before. And there's a chance the cameras taping Epstein happened to not be working at the time of his death. This seemed like an Ocean's Eleven-style operation to kill Jeffrey Epstein. But I read an article questioning conspiracy theories surrounding Epstein's death. It was written by Rolling Stone journalist E.J. Dixon. I listed for her those six points that make me skeptical... This was suicide.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think that everybody absolutely has right to be skeptical. Many of the points that you just brought up um, are certainly worthy of suspicion and are certainly worthy of skepticism. The point of my piece wasn't so much that you shouldn't be skeptical as it was that the people who have traditionally been in the position of being institutional gatekeepers, the people who have traditionally been tasked with sticking to facts and sticking to reason and sticking to the line of, well, let's wait until all the evidence emerges and let's wait till all the facts come out. Let's come up with our own conclusions from there. The people who are tasked with doing that, that's a really important job. And when it came to Epstein, a lot of those people failed at that aspect of that very important job.
0: Opposed to sticking to facts, EJ points out how some in the mainstream press did something else.
2: I saw so many... Um, very esteemed, very high profile public figures, uh, sort of using the language of conspiracy theory. Um, and so quickly, too, um, I think a good example is Joe Scarborough, who um, is a very a highly public figure, you know, the host of Morning Joe, and was on Twitter, you know, actively sort of engaging in the idea that Epstein may have been murdered. Um, and engaging in this speculation. And that is not something I, I, I think it's pretty common after a big news event or, you know, in, in a shocking, very lurid news story like this to sort of see uh, speculation and conspiracy theorizing run rampant on Twitter. But I think it's fairly rare to see um, conspiracy theories being. Vocalized by people who are ostensibly, you know, the gatekeepers, ostensibly the people who are doing, who are in charge of the oversight, and ostensibly the people who you would not expect to see partaking in that sort of unfounded
0: speculation. In her article, E.J. brings up a Washington Post reporter who tweeted, "People close to Epstein fear he was murdered. He was described as being in good spirits in recent days." The tweet went viral, as it currently has nearly 10,000 retweets. And over 15,000 likes. It hints that there is, in fact, a cover-up. So I think for those reasons,
2: sort of the failure of the news media to sort of gut check and be like, okay, let's just stick to the facts, let's report on what we know, um, and let's wait till all the information comes out before we jump to conclusions. Um, I, th- I think it was a really significant failure in that regard. And um, I think it's gonna have implications and have continued to have implications for the coverage of his death and the coverage of his case to come.
0: EJ explains how Epstein's death and ensuing coverage of his death is typical of how conspiracy theories are formed.
2: Conspiracy theories are basically what result when we don't have any information about a given subject. and. We have no ability to verify any of the explanations that we have for the given subject. And there's no way to sort of effectively regulate um, the speculation and the theorizing um, that arise from uh, talking about that given subject. So those three factors together create the perfect conditions for a conspiracy theory to thrive.
0: If you ask me, Epstein died by suicide. If you told me someone had him killed, it wouldn't shock me. But facts are a stubborn thing, and there aren't enough facts that prove someone killed him. I'd rather we don't live in a world where speculation supersedes facts. Epstein's death happened about 14 years after the Palm Beach police first got that phone call from a parent saying their child had been molested by Epstein. Earlier this year, on that day Epstein was arrested and put behind bars for good, one individual was not around to see it. On Saturday, June 2nd, 2018, over one year ago, a funeral was held at St. Rita's Catholic Church in Florida. Detective Joseph Ricari had died in May because of sleep apnea. He was 50 years old. Said Palm Beach reporter Tim Malloy, He was the lead detective on this thing. And he
1: did, if you look at all the video depositions, he did it. He handled all the interviews with girls. He was the guy that got Epstein. I think it probably took a lot out of him. And Joe never got to see, you know, the end
0: result of this thing. Detective Joe Ricari did everything he could.
1: My main concern, obviously, is the girls that come over to work for him. You said you had, there he was had one pictures of you me. naked. That was- and you were 16. Yeah. Those are all the girls that I brought, but the, remember, those girls brought other girls too. So it's like a, it's like a train. What well, he did to you was a crime. I'm not going to lie to you. Did he you consider rape?
0: Would you consider that to be
1: racist, what he did? When he put, that, to put himself inside you without permission, that, that, that is a crime. That's where I'm originally from. And where are you from? Originally from Queens. All right, ride the magic carpet. Here we ride go. 80. 80. Gosh, 80. 80.
0: Ride ride. Right right. Here, everybody can ride. It. Detective Rickeri story. didn't live to see Epstein receive real justice, opposed to just the bizarre and brief experience he had behind bars in Florida. But Detective Rickeri, the kid from the outskirts of Manhattan, just like Epstein, made a game-changing difference in ensuring the real Jeffrey Epstein was brought to justice. Rickeri gave journalists a foundation to build upon. He did not let private investigators, lawyers, or Epstein himself bully him. He is survived by his wife, four kids, and both of his parents. This is a story about a group of girls and young women who needed help. It's about a police officer who spent over one year collecting loads of evidence, only to be shut down by his own government. But even when Detective Joseph Ricari passed away, the victims would not be silenced. This is a story about people who dare to seek the truth, people who are willing to put their life on the line and people who are not. Neither is an easy choice to make. Next week on What Really Happened. Only months ago, the head of the Gambino family was shot several times and killed. People thought it could mean a mob war, Godfather style. But as it turns out, the shooter had other shocking motivations. If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook at Andrew Jenks, or go to jenkspod.com for more information on the sources for this podcast.